Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Gist is brought to you by Betterment, the largest automated investing service managing billions of dollars for people just like you. Get up to six months of investing free when you go to Betterment.com slash Gist. Betterment, investing made better. And by Harry's, the shaving company that offers German-engineered blades, well-designed handles, and shipping right to your door. Visit harrys.com for $5 off your first purchase with the promo code GIST. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Tuesday, February 9th, 2016. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. True story, and like most good stories these days, it starts and ends with Trump. But not necessarily Donald Trump, because his son, the Donald son, Eric Trump, was on Fox News, Big Get, getting Eric Trump. And he was asked about waterboarding by Greta Van Susteren, and he said... And then somebody complains when, you know, terrorists gets waterboarded, which, quite frankly, is no different than what happens on college ca- you know, campuses and frat houses every day. And So Mediaite, which is kind of a humble website, right? They're not saying we're media great, just Mediaite. Mediaite ran this under the headline, Trump's son says waterboarding no different than what happens in frat houses every day. Now, I was in a fraternity. I took a screenshot of this and sent it to half a dozen of my friends who are with me in that college fraternity. And the message was, hey, guys, were we in a wussy fraternity? So I had a question when composing this text. I wondered whether to write, were we in a wussy fraternity or were we in a pussy fraternity? And let me tell you why I chose wussy. It's a little bit of a gentler word. And quite frankly, if the joke is that we're a bunch of wussies because we weren't or didn't waterboard, then I think it's funnier to say, uh, we're a bunch of wussies. And I think it's kind of knuckle-draggy to say, dude, we were in a pussy fraternity. And if I really have to dwell on it, I thought that if I had said in my text, were we in a pussy fraternity, then perhaps the broiest of the people I send it to would be provoked to behave in a broy type way. See, I wanted to make the point. I wanted to have an exalted discussion, but I wanted to bro it down, not bro it up. Also, you know, who sees those tweets? They come on the top of your screen, right? A kid is looking at daddy's iPhone. You don't want her or him to see, oh, pussy fraternity. All right. These are the calculations that went into my mind when talking with six of my best friends who were in the college fraternity with me. That was my audience. Now, here is Donald Trump in New Hampshire yesterday, and he had this exchange with a voter. So he starts off by talking about Ted Cruz's reluctance to waterboard, and some lady in the audience yells, well, well, let's hear if you can pick it up. I don't want to... <laughs> okay. Okay, so she just yelled, he's a pussy. So then Trump takes that remark, which no one would have even noted unless he dwelled on it. And here's what Trump does. Okay, you're not allowed to say, and I never expect to hear that from you again. She said, I never expect to hear that from you again. She said he's a pussy. That's terrible. Terrible. 
So we're in a weird place in America when I, amongst my fraternity brothers, granted we're kind of a soft, unwaterboarded fraternity, but anyway, I declined to say pussy, but the next president of the United States, don't worry, not going to happen, gleefully engages in it. And I will just say that I'm not that worried. I think if voters really want a president who talks like this on stage and amplifies audience comments about being a pussy, if that's what they want, that's what they'll get. And if that's what they don't want, we'll be fine. I just would note we as Americans are not exactly trending away from the society as imagined by the film Idiocracy. On the show today, in the spiel, I fact-check a statement by Chris Christie that wasn't an attack against Marco Rubio and therefore was totally ignored by the media. But first, Maria Konnikova. Hey, that marijuana I've been smoking so much, is it making me stupid? Betterment, nothing to do with breath freshening. Something to do with portfolio freshening. It's spelled B-E-T-T-E-R. M-E-N-T. It is a valuable service because what it is is the largest automated investing service. I don't know if that phrase is attractive, but the site is really great. It will give you advice and it will, if you decide to uh, go with it, it will invest your money and it will do it at a fraction. Now, by the way, that's a pet peeve of mine. Oh, let me finish my sentence. It will do it at a fraction of what the big boys charge to manage your portfolio. But you know what? Four over two is a fraction. So... You know, if you don't know this math stuff, maybe you need Betterment. And their site, I was poking around it. Their site is really easy to navigate. You understand where your money is going. And we've all made that pledge. Hey, I need to get on top of my finances. How do I do it? It seems like, oh, I got to hire a guy. My dad knows a guy. Let's not be sexist. Maybe it's a woman. Well, maybe this is sexist because Betterment's not a man or a woman. It's a website and it's really efficient and it's really friendly. And we've got a really good offer for you. You. If you go to betterment.com slash gist, you can get up to six months of automated investing free. That's betterment.com slash gist. Betterment investing made better. So I'm not a pot guy, meaning a few things. One, I don't know if you know this about me, but I think I have anandamide, which is the bliss gene. We anandamide sufferers slash beneficiaries don't particularly enjoy the effects of marijuana, but it goes beyond that. Among my complaints are, I had a lot of friends who smoked a lot of pot in college, and all they could do was talk about fish. I don't know. Is that pot's fault? There seems to be a correlation between fish and pot. Two, it's so easy to get a laugh if you make a pot reference. Woo! Total late-night comic fodder. And three... Whenever you try to have a highbrow discussion on pot, especially on a place like public radio, they'll play a song like Bob Dylan's Rainy Day Woman, when in fact there are about 14 billion songs about pot. Smoke weed every day. But maybe I'm just not taking the benefits of pot seriously enough. Or are those benefits really bullshit? Just as with Beetlejuice evoking his name three times, even saying the word bullshit once, conjures Maria Konnikova. She is the author of... The Confidence Game, and she plays and fact-checks scientific claims with us in our Is That Bullshit segment. Hello, Maria. Hey, Mike. So maybe we'll get a little bit about the uh, benefits of pop, but let's look at the downside. Let's look at the reefer madness. Sure, some of the complaints have been exaggerated. It probably won't convince you to throw yourself off a building like those scare films. The next tragedy may be that of your daughter. 
or your son. What about long-term intellect? What about memory? What about just being a sharp thinker? How does marijuana affect the brain that way? So we have pretty good evidence that short-term, I mean, when you're smoking pot, there is definitely a hit to your, to a lot of different things, memory. So Mm -hmm. people love to test short-term memory when someone is high, and it ends up that it sucks, basically, is the bottom line. You can't remember just a simple string of digits. Things that would be really, really easy for you if you weren't high become really, really difficult for you if you're high. Your ability to concentrate out the window. That's why so many people, when they're in automobile accidents, around 10% of people um, end up testing positive for marijuana. That just goes to show concentration, not good, manual coordination, those types of things, definitely negatively affected. What you asked about- And also, this is demonstrated time and time again in labs, because my theory is that college students will readily volunteer for pot experiments, <laughs> right? If it's like one of those shock experiments, maybe you don't get enough student volunteers, but I don't effects think there's of any pot shortage. motor control, they're on board. Yeah. Yes. So, but your question, which is actually much more controversial, mm-hmm. is long-term. Yes. So what do we know about the long-term mental impact of marijuana? So there have been studies that look at, you know, memory, that look at IQ, and they've shown things like Memory actually can be impacted over the long term. Mm-hmm. IQ can fall. However, there's a, these studies are really problematic. There's one very good reason. Pot is illegal yeah. still. And so you can't do a controlled trial where on you have- On this controlled substance. Where you have, on this controlled substance where you have some people start smoking pot and other people don't and they smoke it for different periods of time and you do all sorts of controls, you can't. So it all ends up being retrospective. People have to self-control. So you're dealing with self-report. And so you do have these studies where you see lower IQ Mm -hmm. over a long period of time for people who smoke pot. They're confounding variables. People say, well, maybe people who start smoking pot are already less smart. Mm-hmm. And that could certainly be true. I mean, the people who did these t- sorts of studies counter that, well, no, because we try to control for that. Yeah. So there is some evidence there. And there's w- shakier evidence that it can change your some neural structures over the long term, like your hippocampus, which mm-hmm. has to do with your memory, gray matter, and concentration, things like that, which will affect your intelligence and your ability to concentrate um, even after you've stopped smoking pot. That said, all of these studies are done with pretty heavy users. And the most compelling evidence comes from people who start in adolescence, not people who start in adulthood. So your brain is really developing up until your early 20s. And at that point, it looks like pot might actually have a much bigger impact than if you start smoking later on. But again, the people who are driven to smoke yes. pot, there's a number of reasons you do it, but you know, self-medication is one. What are you self-medicating from? That yep. itself could have, you said, confounding. There I don't tons. know if it'll have an impact on IQ, yes. but it might. Yes, there yeah. are tons of confounding variables. Unfortunately, until pot is legalized, we can't get clean data. So with football players, they do autopsies and they look at their brains and they see this black matter. They see the effects of CTE, chronic traumatic Mm -hmm. encephalopathy. They see 
tau, which are which is material in mm-hmm. the brain. I mean, once you see that physically, you know that there was brain impairment. They can't yes. do that with pot? So they can, and they have done studies that look at the neural structures of people who've smoked versus people who've never smoked, people who smoke multiple times a week versus people yeah. who've smoked once or twice recreationally, people who've started in their teens versus people who start in their 30s. And they do see differences. But because they didn't, you don't have them before they started smoking. It's not like these are people who we've been following. It's not a longitudinal data set. It's a cross-sectional data set. You can't say what was the causal variable. Maybe these neural differences actually cause you to smoke pot. And so we have good correlations. And there's some suggestive evidence that, yeah, that this does do something to your brain. And I can easily believe it. I mean, most things do something to your brain. Yeah. Most of the things we do, most of the substances we inject. I mean, alcohol affects our brain. Nicotine affects our brain. Caffeine <laughs> affects our brain. And so I'm not, I'm not surprised, but we certainly cannot say definitively. I mean, saying something like smoking marijuana will lower your IQ in the long term by two to three points. I don't think we can definitively say something like that. Maybe one day we'll be able to. There's some suggestive evidence, but right now we absolutely cannot. And do we know, is it THC, the active ingredient in marijuana? That's the phrase that uh, you always hear. Is that the thing that's causing what we can find, the uh, short-term memory and possibly Tetrahydrocannabinol. Cannabinol. Yeah, they're, they're the things that actually mimic a natural substance that are that we already produce. And so our brain react to it because the, the structure is so incredibly similar. As one scientist joked in one of the studies that I read, we don't have a receptor in the body just to smoke marijuana. So the, we have receptors for other things mm-hmm. that become hijacked by marijuana because it closely mimics a substance that our bodies naturally produce. Well, actually, that's how they found out about my anandamide mm-hmm. because it's a they were looking, they were like, okay, marijuana works, there's a receptor, and then they figured out the bliss molecule could also be working on that receptor. There you so go. I'm highly correlated to the, you could say I'm high on life. <laughs> I wish you wouldn't, but you could say that. Mike, you're high on life. I'm high on life. I'm also high on knowledge, it. and I'm high on the pursuit of truth. And so this is why I have to ask you, marijuana has a bad effect on long-term thinking, cognition, memory, is that bullshit? That is bullshit when you phrase it with such certainty. We simply don't know. We do know that it does have some bad things. Mm-hmm. You can get addicted to it, contrary to popular belief. About 9 to 10% of people who use it get addicted. The number is higher among daily users. Mm-hmm. It's higher if you start when you're an adolescent. But we don't have any good data that it has long-term cognitive impacts. We have very good data on immediate cognitive <laughs> impacts. Right. Maybe, you know, I'm also thinking, just spitballing here, maybe it's the Cheech and Chong movies that cause IQ to drop maybe. a little bit. That, that you could get actually... high, you watch the Cheech. I can't and imagine he, he, that mean... Kumar and Harold would have that effect. They seem a little more highbrow. But yeah, Cheech and Chong just never I couldn't it. agree more. And you're probably eating, speaking of Harold and Kumar, you're probably yeah. eating White Castle. That can't be, right. can't be very good for yeah, your brain. Yeah, there's a lot of junk food yeah. that goes along with A lot of stuff happens. Pot. It's just not good for you in general. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like it would be a good thing if the association with pot, well, you get really high and then you want to, you know, imbibe a lot of fish oils, a lot of omega-3s, yeah. you know, brain food, pomegranate. If that was what you get, you ate when you had the munchies and pot, maybe that would either counteract this supposed 
uh, memory loss or in some way help you. I don't know. Just spitballing here. Yeah. But um, the studies that look at sporadic use in adulthood yeah. show no impact on memory. All right. So so at least we, we have that. So there it is. The word straight from Maria Konnikova. Smoke them if you got them. Are we saying that? We're Can saying we it. We're saying it. Maria Konnikova. As long as you're an adult. Yes. For adolescence, it's actually right. it's, it's much more troubling. There was a warning before this podcast. Yes. Yes, so don't listen, adults kids. only. Maria Konnikova is the author of The Confidence Game. Thank you so much, Maria. Thank you, Mike. The most annoying part of my life has nothing to do with uh, the debates or with those drop-down menus. Or you know how when you go on, especially an iPhone, a mobile device, and sometimes when you're pushing in numbers, like the big calculator-type screen pops up, and that's a joy. But so many sites don't have it. And sometimes with insights, sometimes you get the big calculator numbers for obviously there's going to be numbers involved in a zip code, but they deny you the calculator number and you're hunting them. I have large fingers. Anyway, those are annoying things in my life, but they're nothing compared to shaving. Not the very act of shaving. I enjoy the feeling of accomplishment. I enjoy splashing my face with hot water. This is all good. I enjoy, I'm going to admit this, I enjoy taking steel to skin. It's just how much it costs and how much you bleed and how inefficient it is or was until Harry's razors. I mean, you're paying $32 for an eight pack of blades. You could get them for half the price at Harry's. And we got a starter set as offered by the gist that is amazing. An amazing deal. For $15, you get a razor, you get moisturizing shave cream or the gel, and you get three razor blades. So it's $5 off your first order with promo code gist. Stop overpaying for a great shave. Go to harrys.com right now. H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com. Enter code gist at checkout. And now the spiel, mad props. So there are pocketbook voters and value voters and single-issue voters and NASCAR dads and soccer moms and security moms and coal emission standard uncles. I am something of a single-issues voter, and my single issue is props. I wait until the point of the campaign when the props come out. Well, first what happens is that one candidate tars an opponent with a childish name. And to illustrate that name or that idea, he emboldens supporters to either dress up or the candidate himself brings a stuffed animal or a prop. I'll give you a couple examples. George Bush was said to be chickening out of debate, so Chicken George shadowed him from event to event. Or Paul Songus used to call Bill Clinton a pander bear, but it is the politician who brings a panda bear up to the podium with him and says, this is my opponent. This is a pander bear. Let me tell you, that guy has got my vote because I really need to see it and feel it in order to vote for it. So today in New Hampshire, I've seen video of anti-Rubio activists dressed up as robots Rubiots, Rubots. I've even some of the Rubio robots wrongly roughed up. The headline for that video was Robot Rubio Gets Manhandled by Team Marco. No, not manhandled, robot handled. You find the handle, it's on the left side. Anyway, yeah, of course, robot, of course he's a robot. He repeated himself. That's got to create this gigantic crater. It's a horrific gaffe. We've been told this for two days. Untouched, however, by the fact checkers and the truth seekers in the national media was a statement put forth by Rubio's chief tormentor, New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. The question in the debate was about drug overdoses, and Christie did get some attention for how he framed his response. Here that is. 
This is a disease. It's not a moral failing. It's a disease, and we need to give people the treatment they need. And let me tell you why. Because I'm pro-life. And I'm pro-life not just for the nine months in the womb. I'm pro-life for when they get out, and it's a lot more complicated. 16-year-old heroin-addicted drug girl on the floor of the county lockup. I'm pro-life for her life. The 42-year-old lawyer who's taking Oxycontin and can't get out of bed and support his family. I'm pro-life for his life. Well, something decried Christie's pivot to the GOP safe ground of pro-choice rhetoric. It's actually smart. This is a Republican primary. Though attitudes are shifting, Republicans are the get-tough-on-crime crowd. So it's wise to contextualize a more sympathetic stance as A, intelligent, and B, keeping in line with values that voters already believe in. John Kasich does the same thing when he talks about Ohio's programs to fight poverty. Say, as a good Christian, I believe this. That's what Christie was doing. He's trying to sell a program he believes in, and a program that actually is right. But then Christie ended his remarks with this statement. These efforts we've taken over the last three years, 2015 in New Jersey, for the first time in four years, drug overdose deaths have gone down, not up. I'll bring the same solutions to the country. If New Jersey is the solution, then we are all in trouble. In New Jersey, during Chris Christie's tenure, though, let's be fair, not because of it, but during the Chris Christie years, overdoses have gone way up. More so than even the burgeoning national average. Let me quote from the New Jersey Star-Ledger. As dire as the situation is nationwide, the epidemic is much worse in New Jersey. An analysis shows that the heroin overdose death rate in New Jersey is more than triple the rate released by the CDC and now eclipses homicide, suicide, car accidents, and AIDS as a cause of death in New Jersey. So, all during Chris Christie's tenure... I'll start with 2010, heroin-related deaths in New Jersey, 306, 449. In 2012, it was up to 591. In 2013, 741 people died of heroin. And then in 2014, 781 people died of heroin overdoses. I don't know where Chris Christie got the 2015 numbers. They're not released publicly. Maybe he as governor has them, though hasn't released him in any other way other than that statement during a debate and a previous statement during the State of the Union. Maybe, and this is what the fact checkers at the Star-Ledger came up with, and they're the only place that sought to actually put Chris Christie's statements to a check. Maybe he's conflating heroin deaths and all overdose deaths, and it's possible that due to a decrease in opioid use like cocaine, overall deaths decline. But it does not seem that they actually have declined. And even if they have, they're still shockingly high. And finally, if New Jersey's the solution, we've all got a problem. Now, because this wasn't an attack on Marco Rubio, and because this wasn't a statement about the electability of a rival, it was all but ignored. Chris Christie's purpose now to the national media is not to actually vet what he says or evaluate whether he's truthful full in his run for the presidency, it's to see how much damage he could do to others in his field. And I do have to say this about Chris Christie. I had this thought. After the New Hampshire election, I said to myself, well, if Kasich loses, bad. If Jeb loses, bad. If Christie loses, bad. It'll be interesting to see what they do. Jeb has a lot of money. He's got nothing else to do. He'll probably go on. Kasich's got a state to run, so he'll go to Ohio. But I wonder what Chris Christie's going to do. I mean, he doesn't have... And then it hit me. Wait a minute. He's still governor of New Jersey. I almost forgot.
You know, in 2015, if it is true that heroin deaths went down, we should also note that Christie spent 261 days traveling outside of New Jersey. So maybe you could make the case that heroin deaths didn't go down, if that is indeed true, until Chris Christie began spending most of his time out of the state. Either way, it bears checking. That's it for today's show. I didn't want to say it, but just producer Andrea Salenzi, some of her song selections, a little mushy. Steve Lichtai, executive producer of Slate Podcasts, has a tushy. Andy Bowers, chief content officer of the Panoply Network, something of a hussy. The gist, stick with us. We'll fight the Ruskies. Umperu de Peru du Peru, and thanks for listening. <laughs>